Well, good morning, everyone. And I'm, I'm glad you're here. And we're in uh, Exodus chapter 30. Exodus chapter 30. And uh, I'll be covering verses 1 through 16, and then Frank will be finishing the rest in the second service. But let's pray first. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and how thankful we are for your word, because your word is able to guide us, to direct us, to be a lamp unto our feet, to cleanse us, to purify us, and to strengthen us for the work of ministry. And so, as we look at your word this morning, Father, we pray that you would give us the willingness to believe and to know that everything that we have just mentioned can be ours. And Lord, we want more than anything else to be a light in this world, to be your servants. And so, come by your word, minister to us, use us and encourage us in all faithfulness to you and to one another. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, I don't know about you, I have strange thoughts I think about, but and now I don't know if any of you have ever seen those lint brushes. They're on a handle, and there's like a little round tube, and they're sticky. And what made me think about it is I um, brought wood in today, uh, just before I came over for the wood stove, and no matter how careful you are, you get wood all over you. You, know, you try to get it off, and this and that. But anyway... To take my analogy in a little different direction, it's kind of like um, we are that little instrument that picks up the lint, and our flesh is that sticky part of it. And when we go through the world, we just pick up all kinds of sticky stuff, you know, all kinds of lint, all kinds of stuff. But isn't it wonderful to know that the Lord changes that pad every day for us? His mercies are new every morning. And it's no matter what we picked up the day before, the Lord gives us a brand new chance. I love that. And everything that we're going to be reading about, and the reason I mention this and looking at as far as the tabernacle and his furnishings are concerns, concerned, is it's all about the work of Jesus Christ in redemption and forgiving us and bringing us to a, a new place with him. And Jesus Christ suffered and died for no other reason than to reconcile man to himself. That's the reason he died. That's the reason he suffered. And I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 1 through 4. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 1. <clears throat> Excuse me. Hebrews chapter 1 starting with verse 1. This is what we're covering on Wednesday night. Study through Hebrews. So Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. Isn't that awesome? We don't have to worry about what the prophets wrote. and He spoke to us and is speaking to us through his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. In other words, he's creator. Who being the very brightness of his glory, he's God, and the express image, he's the Lord, uh, of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins. Jesus did it all by himself. He purged all of our sin, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become a much better, uh, ha having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. And so we have to understand that 
Jesus Christ came for no other reason than for the, for the remission of our sins. And we have to understand that he not only came to atone for our sins, but to take them from us. And in Psalm 103, verse 12, it says, Psalm 103, verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. We sing that praise song. And then in Hebrews again, chapter 8, verse 12, and it says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. See, we're like a, a dirty dust rag. You know, we might be all clean and fresh in the morning, but by the time the end of the day is done, we're pretty dusty. And isn't it wonderful to know that his mercies are new every morning, that he cleanses us, takes our sin as far as the east is from the west. He remembers them no more. And you know, one of the things we have to remember, if the Lord has taken our sins from us and remembers them no more, then neither should we. We should be able to set them aside. Now, the problem is, it's not only the sins of, of our past that sometimes can plague us, but it's the sins of yesterday. And we have to realize that Jesus Christ has given us the victory over sin, not only in the fact that we've been redeemed, but in the fact that we don't have to hang on to those things that are continuously pulling us down, but we can move forward in the Lord. And that's what this is all about. In Exodus chapter 30, we're picking up in verse 1. You shall make an altar to burn incense on, and you shall make it of acacia wood, a cubit shall be its length, and a cubit its width. That's about maybe a, a foot and a half. It shall be square, and two cubits shall be its height, about three feet. Its horns shall be uh, one piece with it, and you shall overlay it, uh, lay it, overlay its top, its sides, all around, and its horns with pure gold. And you shall make for it a molding of gold all around. Two gold rings you shall make for it under the molding on both sides. You shall place them on the two sides, and they will be holders for the poles which to bear it up, which to bear it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Now, this is such a beautiful thing because acacia wood was a very common hardwood in that day. It was found all around there. And it's like us. We're common. And But the Lord overlaid it in pure gold. And by his Holy Spirit, we, in a sense, are overlaid in pure gold. And you shall put it before the veil, that is, before the ark of the testimony. In other words, it was supposed to be in the holy place. Remember, you entered from the outside into the holy place. There was another veil that entered into the most holy place. And verse 6, and you shall not put it before the and you shall put it before the veil that is before the ark of the testimony before the mercy seat and that is over the testimony where I will meet with you. Aaron shall burn incense. This is this altar of incense that we're talking about here. Aaron shall burn uh, on it sweet incense every morning when he tends the lamps. He shall burn incense on it and uh, when Aaron lights the lamp at twilight, he shall burn incense on it. Talking about prayer morning and evening. Uh, perpetual um, incense before the Lord throughout your generation. You shall not offer strange incense on it, or burnt offerings, or grain offerings, nor shall you pour drink offerings on it. 
And Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year with blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once a year he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. Uh, it is most holy to the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord when you number them, that there may be no plague among them when you number them. This is what every, uh, everyone among those who are numbered shall give, half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Now, a shekel was about $557 in today's money. So a half a shekel would be about $278. A half a shekel shall be an offering to the Lord. Everyone in included among those who are numbered from 20 years old and above shall give an offering to the Lord. The rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel. In other words, the Lord wanted everything to be even. You're not going to have the rich giving more so that they can have more attention or the poor not giving what they should be given. It's, it's an equal you know, um, uh, recognition that the Lord has for each one of us. When you give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves, and you shall take the atonement money of the children of Israel and it shall point it for the service of the tabernacle of meetings. And, you know, they had to buy the oil. You had to take care of the wages of the priests who were there. And that's what the money was to be used for. That it may be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourself. Now, an altar of incense was to be just before they entered the holy place. And it, it, it's wonderful to know that when you entered the holy place, inside the Ark of the Covenant was the law. But what covered the law? The mercy seat. So we obtain mercy through Jesus Christ because no man can keep the law. No one. There's only one man who ever walked this earth who kept the law. That's Jesus. And so he is able to dispense to us grace and mercy. He is our mercy seat. And so even though we have the law as a school teacher showing us the kind of you know, people we should be that behave the way we should. It's all covered with God's mercy because we make mistakes, because we're flawed. And therefore, the mercy of God is so important to us. And it was to be an altar of, um, it was not to be an altar of sacrifice, either burnt offerings, grain offerings, or drink offerings, but for prayer. And I think that's important because we have to realize sometimes when we go to the Lord in prayer, we're trying to make all these sacrifices to him. We're trying to make all these offerings to him when all he wants us to do is to meet with him. Just burn the incense of our love and praise to him and to seek him. That's what he wants. That's why in Psalm 141 and verse 2 it says, May my prayer... Be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. And then in Revelation 5.8, it gives us another example of how incense represents prayer. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the, the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense. Listen, which are the prayers of of the saints. And so prayer is so important. 
Prayer is the incense that we lift up before the Lord. Because really, if you think about it, what is prayer? It's it's expressing our humility, right? I can't do it. Lord, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your help. I need your strength. Lord, I want to worship you. My only desire in life is to be in relationship with you. It's such a sign of our humility. And then when it talks about not offering strange incense, we're going to find as we get, go on a little bit that um, Aaron's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, um, they were priests unto the Lord as well, and they offered strange incense. And you know what happened? The fire of God came down and consumed them both. So obviously it's very important that we don't offer strange incense before the Lord. And so I believe strange incense is when we incorporate biblical prayer with pagan prayer. For instance, um, like meditation, yoga, um, you know, the burning of, of candles, uh, prayer laverness, chanting, repeti- repetitious prayer. We're, that's, it's strange incense. That's not what the Lord wants. The Lord doesn't want us to incorporate his, you know, his holiness and his purity with pagan practices. He wants us to just come before him and say, Here I am, Lord, a sinner. Forgive me. Remember, Jesus said, That's the man that went home justified. And just lay our, our prayers as humbly as we can before him. And our prayers might not be as eloquent as others, but that doesn't make any difference. The Lord hears our heart. And so we come before him and say, Jesus, here I am. Forgive me, strengthen me, use me. I desire to be yours. I want to be your instrument. And, of course, the Lord does. Because an interesting observation about this altar of incense is found in Hebrews chapter 9, if you want to turn there, in Hebrews chapter 9. And I'd like to say I'm going to give you the scholarly and 100% correct answer to this what seems to be a little bit of a paradox, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to tell you what I feel it possibly could be, and maybe the Holy Spirit will show you something too. But anyway, what we just read in Exodus is when you went into the holy place, the first part of the, of the, of the tabernacle, the holy place, you had the table of showbread, you had the candle, you know, the menorah, the candles, and you had the altar of incense. They were all in the first place, the holy place. And then when you went behind the Holy of Holies, what you had there was the Ark of the Covenant. But in Hebrews chapter 9, starting with verse 1, then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinance of divine service and uh, the earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. So it's not mentioning the altar of incense being in the, the first part of the tabernacle, in the holy place. In verse 3 it says, And behind the second veil, that takes you into the holy of holies now, the part of the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer, and the Ark of the Covenant. The golden censer was 
the table of incense. That's where the incense was burned. Overlaid on sides with gold, which were the golden pot that had the manna, that this is the um, Ark of the Covenant, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim for, of, uh, uh, of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. So the question is, why did the altar of incense get put behind the second curtain? And, you know, the short answer is I don't know. But it's very definite in Exodus that the altar of incense was before the curtain, and in this portion of Hebrews, it's behind the curtain. The only thing that I can think of as a possibility is what we read in, in Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That's when Jesus died and atoned for sin. To tell us that I paid in full. There's a great earthquake and, and, and it tore in two. And I think one of the things that it mentions, it, it at least speaks to me, is the fact that in the Old Covenant, you had to go be, to prayer and offer up the, you know, the, prayer of, you know, uh, the incense of prayer. And then if you were qualified, you could go back into the holy place, which is, was the presence of the Lord. But what it speaks to me is we can go right to the presence of the Lord to offer our incense right now and to pray. We can go right before him. Here I am, Jesus. You know, we don't have to, oh, I'm trying to get myself ready and I'm trying to get myself purified so I can go in the presence of the Lord. We go right in the presence of the Lord through, through Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 3.16. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So when we turn to the Lord, that veil is taken away. We can go right in his presence. And so we have to realize that um, God has given us this ability to take our prayers directly to his presence. And we know, according to the word of God, that if he hears us, that anything we ask in his name, in other words, to, according to his will, we have what we ask for. Now, um, one of the most difficult things I think people have in prayer is trusting the Lord. I just shared with you the verse of Scripture that if we ask anything according to his will, we have what we ask for. But how, how often do we go to prayer and pray to the Lord about something and we might not necessarily really trust him that we're going to get the answer. We say we do. Oh, Lord, I just pray that you take care of this or that. And then sometimes we do everything we can afterwards to, to take care of it rather than just trusting the Lord to do it. And I couldn't help thinking that if we really believed according to God's word, if we really believed that God answered all the prayers we ask according to his will and his purpose, if we really believed God would answer them, people couldn't give it, get us off our knees. I mean, if we really believed that, people couldn't get us off our knees. Instead, we have a hard time getting down on our knees. So we have to come to a place where we say, Lord, forgive me a sinner. I believe, help my unbelief. I want to have a relationship with you 
that is so based on faith that I know that when I get down on my knees and I pray to you, almighty living God, that you hear and you answer prayer. And I believe it. But so often, if you're like me, you pray and then you do everything you can to make sure the prayer is answered rather than just leaving it at the Lord's mercy seat and trusting him to answer it. Because when we desire to enter our own holy of holies, we must realize it is only through the offering of the incense of prayer. If you want to get before the Lord, it has to be in prayer. Not, here I am, Lord, speak to me. I mean, he will a lot of times do that. But we need to get before him, and we need to pray, 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 pray. Our prayer has to be first. In, Ma- in Matthew twenty-one, twenty-two, it says, And whatever things you ask in prayer, believe you will receive. But prayer has to be in humility. You know, it's not like a name it and claim it prayer. Lord, I come before you in Jesus' name, and I believe you want me to have a brand new Mercedes. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about going before the Lord and laying our needs before him. And our needs not only are our physical needs, it's our spiritual needs. Lord, hear me, answer me. I believe you, God. I'm laying everything at your feet. That's why it has to be in humility. Then it talked about the table of showbread in this area, and and that really relates uh, to fellowship. In 1 Corinthians 10:17 it says for we though many are one bread and one body for we all partake of the one loaf. So the very idea of fellowship is our being one in the Lord. We come together in fellowship not because we've got a cool church or whatever. We come together to fellowship in the, in the, with the Lord and to be in his presence. That's what it's all about. Um we're Different people, all of us. And we have different personalities with different needs and even different goals. But we're all one in Christ. And Christ is just as interested in answering our need as he is anyone else's. We have to understand that. And the last point made in this portion is that giving to the Lord is a privilege, not a burden. And rich people don't give more and poor people don't give less. It's our privilege to give to the Lord. And the only reason we can worship and give to the Lord at all is because he ransomed us. He paid a price that we could never pay. He ransomed us to give us that privilege to come and to worship him and to give unto him. In Galatians 3.14, it says, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. And then in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And this is why there truly is no redemption outside of Jesus Christ. Religion can't redeem you. Doing certain godly acts can't redeem you. Only the blood of Christ can redeem us. 
from acts of unrighteousness. And that's the reason that I, I love that we have once a month, we have Communion Sunday, because it's a, remind, a reminder. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. But what are we supposed to remember? We're not supposed to remember what he looked like. There's really no description given of him. The only description we have is a prophecy about him and says that he was not coming, that people would be drawn to him. In other words, he wasn't, he wasn't a good-looking guy. You know, we think of Jesus, you know, he had, had this beautiful auburn hair and, you know, perfect height, like 6'2", and his robes were sparkling white, and, you know, he just walked around. People said, oh, wow, <laughs> you know. But Scripture actually tells us he wasn't good-looking. He just looked like some ordinary dude. But there is something more than just his personal looks. People were drawn to him by the Holy Spirit. People were drawn to him by the message that he had to share. And so when he met with his disciples, and it was preparation day, which was the day before the Passover, and uh, when he met with his disciples in the upper room, um, it was to explain to them, I'm giving you a sacrament that you can participate in until you're with me, either at death or the rapture, as a reminder that all I have done for you. Because when we think <clears throat> of the, the bread being broken, his, his body being broken, his blood being shed, poured out, you know, the blood of Jesus Christ, the glorious Lamb of God, it was for no other reason than love and to draw us to himself. It's not just some little thing that we do. It has such, you know, deep spiritual meaning to it because Jesus said that he wouldn't share in this sacrament physically, you know, where he was offering it again until he shared it with his disciples in the kingdom of heaven. And have you ever thought about that? One day, when the rapture occurs and all the church is taken to heaven, we are going to have one giant communion service, and the one offering it is going to be Jesus Christ. I mean, can you imagine the awe we're going to be in? It's going to be like, <laughs> wow. Well, he's given us a little reminder of that. And that's what we call the Lord's table. And as we participate in the Lord's table, he said, do this in remembrance of me. And this is what we need to remember. Though your sins be as scarlet, he'll make them white as snow. No matter how much you mess up, he can straighten it out. No matter how far you've gone in sin, he can clean you up and he can bring you back. And so when we participate in this, do it with a heart of love and a heart of faith. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for this sacrament that we call Holy Communion. And we pray, Lord, that you would use it to minister to um, each one who's here today. And now come by your Spirit, Lord, and prepare our hearts for this communion, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, Jesus, when he was in the upper room with his disciples, he took the unleavened bread because it was during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Then he took the cup, and he said, this is the covenant that is found in my blood, the new covenant. And so every time we participate in this sacrament together, we're remembering all that Jesus did for us. He paid the price in the flesh. He paid for the remission of our sins in his shed blood. And so we take this, and we're very thankful for all God has done. So brothers and sisters, take, eat, and drink and be so thankful.
Thank you, Lord, for receiving each one of us as a living sacrifice to you. We thank you for this communion. It's a reminder that all you've done. Now I pray that you bless this sacrament to our spiritual nourishment, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, my friends.